electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Fast Money starts right now. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Steve Grasso, and Karen Feinerman. Coming up on Fast, California Governor Gavin Newsom calling on Congress for an additional $1 trillion pandemic relief package. We'll talk to him about that, plus what Elon Musk told him about pulling Tesla out of California. Also ahead, former Home Depot CEO Bob Nardelli says we are in the middle of an economic tsunami and we are understating just how big the damage will be. And later, check out shares of Beyond Meat soaring in today's session. One Wall Street firm sees a 25% rally ahead. So should you bite into this name? But we begin with the news that moved the markets. That news pouring some cold water on the promise of a Moderna coronavirus vaccine. The report saying, according to the vaccine experts it interviewed, there's really no way to know how impressive or not the vaccine may be. While Moderna blitzed the media, it revealed very little information. Most of what it did disclose were words, not data. That report sent stocks tumbling. Look at the market reaction when the story hit. Just around 3 p.m. Eastern time, stocks sold off sharply into the close. Close at the lows of the session. Moderna, of course, uh, finishing the day sharply lower. Guy Dami, the Hope rally was fueled by Moderna. And uh, here no. we have, uh, you know, the, the decline in the markets because of Moderna. Yeah, and it, it's disappointing, number one. And I'm not a clinical research scientist, nor do I uh, pretend to be. But we talked about this last night. We said, you know what, it seems a little um, sparse in terms of information. And we thought that people were getting their hopes up. And a lot of the yesterday's market was predicated on, obviously, that news. And I thought as well the 60 Minutes interview with Jay Powell. I, I, so, you know, the fact that we're down today on the back of that is not all that surprising. But I'll say this. Uh, and again, I'm, I'm not casting aspersions at all, but they were very quick, Moderna, to price a 17.6 million share secondary at $76, um, you know, off that move the stock saw yesterday. So, you know, we talked about it not really passing the sniff test last night. And, you know, with my eyes, it doesn't really pass a sniff test today. I think you know, it's going to be interesting to see if there are any ramifications going forward on the back of that. Yeah. Some of the other issues that this report from Stat News raised uh, was that sample size. Remember, they, they cited specifically eight patients that developed neutralizing antibodies. Those are the antibodies that people should be focusing on. Um, but they didn't disclose any data about those eight patients and eight patients on, in any trial is a small number of patients. N equals eight is not really statistically significant in this. NIAID also did not release any sort of press release in conjunction with Moderna. So those are a couple of other things um, that Stat News uh, raised questions about. Tim Seymour, we did sort of question the uh, notion of releasing data from an incomplete phase one trial yesterday. But does that mean that whatever gains we had made from a hope rally should, in fact, be should, in fact, disappear? Well, and they didn't all disappear. But but uh, as Guy pointed out, 
Powell plus Moderna um, is one plus one equal three yesterday. We got we got a bigger response uh, than I think we might with one of them on their own. And in fact, today we got uh, Powell essentially part two, the exact same speech, but delivered in a different forum. Um, plus Moderna equal down, you know, one percent on the S&P. So it didn't it didn't pull back as much either. We look, we've had headlines, whether they've been the Gilead headlines. Uh, we've, we've had we've had Abbott Labs. We've had different uh phases of either treatment, testing, uh, and ultimately vaccine that have given the market hope for the last six weeks. Um, that either way is not going to be an immediate result. And what I think the market has to come to grips with is this balance between what's going to be a staged recovery for uh, people going back to work, even if we had uh, the vaccine tomorrow through phase three with, with a bow on it. So I, I think if you look at what the market did in the last hour of trading, it lost 30 S&P points uh, and the trades that had been uh, essentially not working for a couple days, which were the, the, the growth trades, but the mega cap check trades, the, the pristine balance sheet trades, those are the ones that were more defensive into the close. I think the markets either way are going to be in this range. And I think uh, the bears will point out to say, hey, look, both technicals around 2950, uh, fundamentals getting three quarters of the way through earnings season don't give you a lot more reason to get excited here, especially with big companies like Walmart after a great quarter, also reversing basically from the opening bell this morning. I know we're going to talk Walmart, but but a lot of stuff has been pulled forward here. And for someone that's been constructive, um, I, I, I actually would be somewhat glass half full about the market's reaction to Moderna today because I think they had to shrug some of that off. Right. For those uh, Grasso watching ranges, where we are even today after the after the sell off is probably above uh, what most people's upper uppermost range, you know, the top end of the range, 2,900. Yeah, so, so when you look at it, the 2,955 areas where technicians are really basing their approach to where they want to sell this market, that 2,792 is a 50% retracement. So that's where human nature tells you I got 50% of my money back. I could have lost it all, which let's hope that never happens. But these are people that are coming off of that 6-6 low in the financial crisis. So when you look at it, what is this market basing off of? It is vaccine. What I like about yesterday is the market really gave you some insight to what this market will look like when you get real progress on a vaccine. I think you're going to see a blow off top when you eventually get that vaccine. And to all the bears, what you have to be cognizant of is that every day, we go on with this market, we're a day closer to a vaccine actually coming to market. So I think the bears got to be where the bulls sort of, there's no reason to take a stance here at the 50% line. I think you just be cautious and just say, maybe, just maybe you see a vaccine within the next four months, not 18 months. Four months. That's that's a pretty short time frame as it is. I mean, Karen, how do you sort of trade this this whipsaw action in the markets, especially when granted this could be a glimpse of what the markets will trade like once there is true progress. But that true progress, we don't know when that is going to happen. And it could be four days. It could be probably not four days, unfortunately, four months or it could be a year or two. Right. I mean, I, you know, the run up, including sort of capping it off with yesterday's move, was extraordinary. So today I was a net seller. Um, CVS, for example, something I bought, you know, in March. Um, and then um, Target, we'll get to that when we talk to Walmart. But can I just go back to that Moderna offering for one second, yep. if that's OK? Um, 
It's amazing to me. So they, they talked about the eight patients, but apparently I believe there were 45. Um, if they do have, if they currently have data that is less optimistic than what we've heard about those eight patients and still did an offering without disclosing that information for a billion and a quarter dollars worth of stock, that would be probably not so cool with the SEC would be my guess. I don't know what, what we can read into it that they proceeded with that IPO, only releasing that amount of data that they did, but if it comes back later that they had information knowing it wasn't quite as rosy as it was painted to be, mm-hmm. I think that would be a difficult situation for them. There are certainly a lot of questions. And uh, it shows us. Right. The, the offering yesterday raised some eyebrows, raising some eyebrows today, again, as Karen had outlined. Um, so let's bring in Jacob Frankel. Uh, to get his take on on whether or not this should draw some regulator attention. He's a former senior counsel for the SEC, now with the law firm Dickinson Wright. Jacob, great to have you with us. Thank you. Thanks for the offer. And the answer is, in my mind, no question. This draws SEC scrutiny, and I think almost a great lead-in is not only talking about omission to disclose material facts, but I can easily see SEC enforcement looking at such things as insider trading, manipulation, I mean, these are the exact issues that co-director of enforcement Steve Pekin highlighted in his keynote address just one week ago at the Securities Enforcement Forum, which is really the preeminent forum for enforcement lawyers. I go back and I just quickly took a look at what's happened in the Moderna stock. A Friday close at 66, a pre-open release on test results that are now being questioned by experts. Monday open of 86, a close at 80. Um, after-market press release at $76 on the offering, and a Tuesday close at 71 You know, that market reaction defines materiality. I mean, this almost invites SEC consideration of a trading suspension, and we've seen 33 trading suspensions since February 7th, in other words, less than three and a half months involving COVID solutions, COVID claims, treatments, vaccines, and the like. Is there enough uh, for some sort of trading suspension or some sort of investigation based on what we know right now, Jacob? Or what are some of the the missing pieces to the puzzle that uh, investigators, that lawyers will need to need to figure out in order to to proceed with the case if they if they did proceed with the case? The devil, the devil is always in the details. On the insider trading side, it's going to be who was trading, when, when were they trading, what was the information. Um, in terms of the disclosure of material facts, it's going to be an assessment of the substantive facts. What was known by the company? I think it, you know, one of the things that, you know, this commission, interestingly, in 2019, and one of the reasons actually at the moment I'm really up on trading suspensions, I'm fighting one for a client is, you know, is the issue of the integrity of the press releases and whether a company, in fact, does or not disavow information that may be in the marketplace, you know, as a reason not to terminate a trading suspension. But fundamentally, for the SEC to make the trading suspension determination, that is not an enforcement action. That's really considered what is in the public interest and what is really designed to protect investors. But back to your question in terms of what else do we need, it's really the the substantive facts. All the issues that your experts really are raising right now that go to the substance of the company's disclosures, Mm -hmm. what did they know, what were the disclosures, 
were they ad- adequate? But you look at the market movement, that defines materiality. And yes, there is enough in the marketplace right now for there to be an investigation. I think one that may very well have a parallel criminal component. And one, I mean, this company is based in Cambridge, Massachusetts. The Boston office of the SEC is very thorough and very aggressive, including mm-hmm. in the area of trading suspensions. So I think there's no question we will see a regulatory investigation. Would there be an appetite, Jacob, in your view, for the SEC to launch such an investigation into a company that could be developing the, ma- the vaccine that could save millions of lives? Isn't, I mean, right now, isn't that just politically unsavory? Not, not, not at all. In fact, if you go back, as, if you go back to Steve, not only Steve Pekin's speech on May 12th, again, the co-director, go back to, you can go back to March 23rd when uh, Steve Pekin and Stephanie Avakian, who they are the co-directors of enforcement, um, issued a release on market integrity. This is all to the SEC about communications, the quality of the communications, and transparency. An investigation does not prevent the company from ad- advancing its, you know, its clinical trials, uh, does not prevent bringing to market a vaccine if there is one. Mm-hmm. This is about information that is in the market and that, that is f- fueling this aberrational or volatile trading, and that really is the responsibility of the SEC. So I do think uh, the two really are mutually exclusive. You could still ultimately have a vaccine, that, whether it comes from Moderna or some other, uh, some other manufacturer, but right now for purposes of regulatory enforcement inquiry, mm-hmm. that's about the integrity of the markets, public interest, protection of investors, and you look at the materiality as reflected in the price swings, right. and, I, and I think we do see an investigation. Jacob, great to get your thoughts. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Jacob Frankel. Uh, we should note that through Meg Terrell, we, we requested a comment from Moderna, from the CEO, as well as the Public Relations Department, have not gotten anything yet. If we do, we'll bring that to you. In the meantime, um, Tim Seymour, is this enough for you to say, you know, I'm, I'm going to stay clear of this, of this space, of, of maybe this particular stock? Well, I think most investors are, are not actively engaging in biotech. And in fact, this was news uh, not only for the obvious social uh, you know, story around what's going on with the crisis, but, but this was news because this is market moving. We, you know, we're, we're, we're analyzing companies who basically have a cash burn story every day. It's, it's, it's you know, sand through the hourglass. So um, I, I think investors um, largely are, are speculating as to the timeline before uh, the economy is able to go back to back to work at full scale and then assess uh, everything from credit through uh, normalized earnings. That, that's where we are. That's what we're doing here on this show. Um, I, I'm certainly not going to be the one uh, talking about Moderna's efficacy and, and the, the phases of trial. Let's listen to Meg Terrell on that. I, I think the market right now wants to weigh uh, timeline and look at some of these big industrial companies like airlines uh, and even, you know, like some of the, the automakers or some of the, the shippers and the, and the folks that are really in the line of fire here, that's, that's the calculus investors should be weighing right now. And I don't think Moderna um, really in and of itself uh, should be that measuring stick. I don't think it should have been yesterday, and I don't think it will be tomorrow. Um, Guy Dan, we've talked about Gilead a number of times, and it was interesting to see the initial reaction of Gilead yesterday to the news that a vaccine may be coming. Theoretically, if a vaccine is out there, there is not as much of a need for a treatment for the disease for which there is then a vaccine. But Gilead still finished the day lower today and finished on the lows of the session. 
Yeah, I was going to bring that up, so I'm glad you mentioned it. I mean, if, if anything, in terms of answering your question, which Tim did so well, I mean, Gilead is also your cautionary tale that just started this, you know, a month, month and a half ago. You saw a stock that went basically from 75, I think, up to 84 on hopeful news. And now you see where I think it closed around 72. By the way, I mean, Gilead, there's going to be an opportunity forgetting about COVID and vaccines and potential treatments. Gilead on its own, I thought, was doing pretty well. But now it's being taken out to the woodshed, probably um, a little excessive on the downside. And again, we're, I'm not saying that Moderna did. I have no idea. What all I said last night, and what I'll re- emphasize again today, is it just didn't pass the sniff test. It just the optics were not good. And maybe everything was on the up and up. I have no idea whether or not that's the case. But the optics weren't great, Mel, and I think we're seeing the aftermath now. I should note that we did get a company response to our question specifically about the secondary share issue, uh, and the company referred us to their prospectus um, and the use of proceeds, which is the screen that you see there on air, the use of proceeds. uh, And that's the only comment that we have gotten from Moderna. Coming up, shares of Spotify surging today on a new partnership. We'll tell you who the company signed on and what it means for the stock. Plus, the governor of California is starting to reopen his state. But as some tech giants shift to indefinite work from home, what could that mean for the economy? Gavin Newsom joins us when Fast Money returns. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Spotify surging today after the music streaming giant announced a multi-year exclusive deal with well-known podcaster Joe Rogan. He, of course, is the host of the Joe Rogan Experience, and you may remember him from this infamous interview with Elon Musk back in 2018. The Joe Rogan Experience podcast is expected to stream exclusively on Spotify later this year. Um, Tim, a huge surge on this get of Joe Rogan. Yeah, I mean, I think you have a case here where we're obviously we're, we're looking for uh, we're looking for content these days. And Spotify obviously is is been showing their ability to both monetize and raise raise free cash flow. I think this is a uh, you know, this is not a game changer, but this is, again, about a major personality joining up. And this is something that should be certainly bidding the stock. Grassley, you like Spotify? You know, when you look at the chart on it, I don't like to buy charts that are straight up like this. I would give it a couple of days to sort of settle back in. But I'm always wary of this. Once we get back to work, I think those listeners will probably uh, uh, dissipate is not the proper word, but will decrease definitively. So I think you're going to get a chance to buy this a little bit lower. And when you buy a stock based on talent, I think that always comes around to bite you in the butt. I would wait a little bit longer. I'm sure the stock will do okay because it has a a mass following, but I would wait on this news specifically. Give it a couple of days to breathe. Don't buy a a stock on one name and one name only. Isn't that sort of what's done anyway? I mean, when when you have like Netflix or a studio and they snag some big director or some big actress to star in some series that they're launching, Karen, I mean, that that oftentimes bids the stock higher. I mean, look look at Disney with 
I mean, Star Wars, that's probably an extreme example, but that is one example of a company moving higher based on the content they have secured. Yeah, well, two, two examples come to mind. One was a real positive, one was a negative. Both involve Oprah Winfrey when I think of something like this. So when Oprah went to, I believe it was, you know, to start her Oprah Winfrey network on Discovery, that was quite a bit of fanfare, and everyone was really excited about it given the strength of her show. Didn't work out. However, when Oprah went to Weight Watchers, that was genius. That was just a gigantic score. So I don't know how this will work out. I kind of agree with Steve. I wouldn't chase it up here. This is another one where I absolutely love the product. I'm just not that excited about the valuation, particularly after a day like today when it was up so big. You know, Guy, there's a Fast Money podcast. Did you know that? You can listen to us in a Come podcast. On. Yeah, Stop. seriously. Trade school. Absolutely. More you know. Uh, FYI for all you out there <laughs> working from home. Coming up, retail getting wrecked today as the first group of companies reports results. We'll hear from the former CEO of Home Depot and why there may be more pain to come. And later, the stay-at-home play is trading at all-time highs ahead of earnings. We'll tell you what it is and how options markets say you should play this report. Stay tuned. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. It is retail's moment of truth as we kick off a big week of earnings today. The street hearing from Home Depot, Walmart and Kohl's. The stock's falling hard due to the steep cost of doing business during the pandemic. So where does retail go from here? And what I want to know, Karen, are these retail winners during the pandemic? Will they still be the winners post-pandemic? I think they will be the winners. I don't know it will be as stark a contrast as it is now, but I think that You know, obviously people were stocking up, so some of the revenue was sort of pulled forward from future use. But I think there's also, they're gaining new customers that maybe wouldn't have used them before. So that's a win. Um, But I think that, I mean, Walmart's done a fantastic job. I thought those numbers were great. I thought the margin was great. I'm a little worried, though, that Target, which has run up a huge amount, even if they put up good numbers, I feel like it's already kind of priced in. And um, I think, you know, it's have maybe a, I don't know, high 20 percent move. I, it's it's sort of also a bit of portfolio management. It got a little too big. I think there'll be a lasting winner as well. But I think the price is already reflecting a bit of a lasting win. 
You got to wonder for a company like Walmart, though, Guy, how much of that traffic that had gone into the store will now permanently be e-commerce sales, which are lower margin sales. I mean, it, it costs more to fulfill those orders. The margins are very thin. The cost of goods at Walmart for the quarter was up 9.7 percent. And that's really that that's being amplified across the sector as more and more people are, are moving to ship online and those shipping costs eat into their margins. I think that's I think that's a fantastic point. You know, people, for example, somebody like me who, you know, as I say, the next time I buy something online will be the first time. But if you if you find that the experience is is pleasant and non, you know, non non scary, as you might have thought, you're going to be inclined to continue to do that. So I agree. I can't tell you what percentage will will do continue to stay online. But I think it's a large part in terms of the way the stock traded and Home Depot the same way. You know, Walmart started trading lower long before uh, the Moderna news was out, so it traded up to those levels we saw a couple weeks ago, seemingly failed. The reversal is interesting. And i got to tell you something. We'll talk about Home Depot, but the fact that it traded up to the February highs and have this now potential double top in Home Depot is also disturbing. And that comes on the heels of something we talked about a week and a half or so ago, you know, the move in, a, in an Apple, in a Microsoft, and in a Facebook. All things that, you know are not necessarily a problematic, but things you need to watch in terms of technicals. All right. Well, as retailers struggle, former Home Depot CEO Bob Nardelli is out with a big warning. Wall Street is underestimating the tsunami that's about to hit the U.S. economy. Bob Nardelli joins us on the phone. He also, of course, ran Chrysler, was a GE executive, wears many hats. Bob, always great to speak with you, though. Thanks, Melissa. It's, it's great to be on. And uh, just to pick up where uh, both Karen and Guy were, were speaking about uh, Walmart in Home Depot. I think these are two solid, solid companies. They've got great CEOs with Doug McMillan and Craig Manier. I think that, uh, you know, the comments that were being made by Karen that, you know, as everybody, uh, you know, has been sheltered, uh, we started to do stockpiling. I think we're all probably a little guilty of that. Um, I think uh, both of these gentlemen did a fantastic job in responding to their associates, premium pay, making sure that they had, uh, you know, PPE protection, making sure the stores were as disinfected and clean, dealt with a limited number of people per square foot. In both cases, we saw, you know, less visits but higher, you know, higher ticket price, which was really phenomenal. And both of them had positive uh, same-store sales. So I think these are, you know, Guy, I think these are two companies to really keep an eye on, and they're going to be solid uh, when everybody starts crawling out of their shelters also. Yeah, the average ticket price at Home Depot was up in about 11%, which is remarkable. Um, Bob, I wanted to get, get more on this tsunami that you're forecasting. Aren't, aren't we in the tsunami, or is it going to get worse? Oh, Melissa, I, I think that, uh, you know, I, I, I appreciate the optimism that we're hearing out there. I understand it. But uh, if you look at the degree of difficulty and, you know, having sat in these chairs myself, uh, some of these heavy industrial companies uh, are really going to have a challenge. Let, let's take the airline industry, for example. So we see air travel down, you know, as much as 80%. So we see one airline company basically parking 500 planes. They're getting rid of their 777s that have long been in the fleet, the McDonnell Douglas stuff. So you got excess pilots, you got excess crews and costs incurred there. What happens then? The dominoes tumble to Boeing and, uh, you know, Boeing had an issue with the MAX to start with, mm -hmm. but then, you know, they have to shut down commercial. And then as a result of that, GE shuts down really the, the bright spot in that portfolio, jet engines. 
they lay off 13,000 technical workers. In my experience, is that's about a 10 to 1 ratio, Melissa. For every one you lay off in GE right. or every one we laid off at Chrysler, the tier two, three, or four get whacked. And so starting, you know, starting to get that supply chain, you're talking about in some cases 12, 18 months to get things up and running. Sure. And in some cases, you know, with the issue with China, the tariffs, and the disruption over there, I had 20 directors on the phone the other night from Mexico, and they're very concerned when you think about over $300 billion of exports into the U.S., and they're now starting to shut down. What impact is that going to have on the auto industry? Mm-hmm. The auto industry, you know, has had three starts now. They're going to do middle of April, end of April, May, and we're starting up. But think about the degrees of difficulty they've got, Melissa. One is PPE protection for right. the workers coming back. Second, uh, you know, they have the social distancing. They have to reprofile all the workstations. And based on seniority, when you bring people back, you got new people on new jobs. So you have to worry about OSHA safety. you got to worry about quality. And the biggest issue they're going to face, having mm-hmm. lived through this myself, is getting that supply chain started. Right. Now, the, the advantage they got, the dealers have 90 days of stock on the ground. The overflow lots are literally overflowing. So they're going to, you know, they'll have some time to bring this up uh, up to the production levels, but they've got they've got a stacked uh, inventory issue, and they got to decide whether it's going to be a consumer pull program mm-hmm. through inve- you know interest rates or a uh, manufacturing push by just putting tremendous discounts and incentives on the hood of everything they move. Right. So I think you know we've got a real issue here uh, in some of these heavy industrials to mm-hmm. get them up and running over the next. Uh, several so, uh, several months, 10, 12 months, Melissa. So, Bob, we're just about out of time, but I have to ask you about General Electric. We, we just showed uh, the stock chart on the screen. Six and change is where it's trading at right now. you think possibly this could be, uh, in some shape or form, a, a takeout target? Well, I don't know in, in total. I think, you know, Larry has really, uh, really been dealt a, a challenging hand. He's a very competent leader. He has a tremendous track record from Danaher. Uh, you know, cash is going to cash is the king. Uh, when you look at the, the amount of money that Boeing is, is burning per month, you look at what's happening to GE Aviation now. You know, billions of dollars per month, just like in the auto industry. You know, he may have to monetize some more pieces of the business to be able to get through uh, through this trough. But uh, you know, it's unfortunate that uh, aircraft engine, which was really the bright spot, now you know got a bump in the road as a result of aviation, Boeing, right. and now falling falling into uh, GE's basket, basket there, Melissa. So let's hope that uh, let's hope Larry finds a way to navigate uh, that great company through this through this uh, challenging period. Bob, always great to speak with you. Thank you. Thank you, Melissa. Bob Nardelli. Uh, Steve Grasso, where do you go from? I mean, you raise a lot of good uh, points about the supply chain. We don't know how the, all the dominoes will so fall. So much there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so it's just it, you wonder if people will be willing to pay more to have that supply chain brought back home. And I think that everything that we've seen recently leads me to believe that they would. But when you look at Walmart, they're over 50 percent groceries. That's what helped them in the beginning. Target is not nearly that strong in groceries, but now we're buying other things besides groceries. So I think that's why Target came on strong later. Coal stores had a lot of problems going in. They're going to have a lot of problems coming out. They incentivize. They reduce prices on too many things. I don't, I don't feel strongly that coal stores has a bright future going forward. But I'll throw another one in there that we didn't talk about. Costco. 
What, remember all the, the, the pushback on this? Who needs this many paper towels? Who needs this much water? Who needs this much toilet paper? Well, we found out who needs that, and they were the original bulk buying machine, and I think that people will not stop their behavior there. And I am still long GE, just to go full wrap around everything that he commented on. So you have aviation, you have power, you have health care. I hope they, they start breaking it up because it was starting to come back on its own, But I think with this pandemic, this is a lot of headwinds for them to survive the way they are right now. All right. Coming up, California Governor Gavin Newsom joins us. He is calling on Congress for an additional one trillion dollar pandemic relief package. We'll talk to him about that. His efforts to reopen California and Elon Musk's threats to leave the Golden State. And later, Beyond Meat sizzling today. Why one analyst says the stock can rise another 25 percent from here. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. California's governor making some big headlines today. Gavin Newsom and his economic task force sending a letter to Congress asking for an additional $1 trillion in federal aid to help state and local governments. Nearly 100 business leaders, including Disney's Bob Iger, former Fed Chair Janet Yellen, and Salesforce CEO Mark Benioff signed that letter. I sat down with the governor earlier today exclusively and asked him what would happen if Congress didn't pay up. Public health, public safety is impacted. Public education is impacted very directly. That doesn't need to happen. The purpose of federal government is to keep people safe and also focus on the well-being of our citizens. At the end of the day, we're not looking for charity. We're not looking for handout. We believe this is social responsibility. It's not a red issue. It's not a blue issue. It's not a large state issue or a small state issue. It's an American issue. Uh, You heard Jerome Powell himself today uh, talk about the impact of this, the likes of which we've never seen in our lifetime. And so it's incumbent upon the federal government to do more uh, and to do better at this moment. And not pointing fingers when I say that. Uh, I am just saying we have a shared responsibility to the American people, 40 million that live in the state of California. The bill is already receiving some pushback, some opposition. Uh, We spoke to Senator Pat Toomey earlier on CNBC today. Here's what he had to say. There's a a real debate as to whether uh, whether there should be any federal funding going directly to states and municipalities to replace lost revenue. Why is it that um, the federal government should be the source of this money? I mean, states and municipalities have taxing authority of their own. How would you respond to that? Yeah, I mean, it's the it's fundamental central purpose of the federal government. What is, we should ask, the purpose of federal government, if not to protect its citizens and to address the issue of social responsibility at a time of great need? And let me just underscore the great need. Uh, if it's not obvious, it should be obvious to everybody. We have Depression-era unemployment. The numbers we've seen made public significantly understate the severity of the economic crisis in the United States of America. It's well north of 20% unemployment. And the reality is, as we toggle back, as we reopen the economy, California, roughly 90% of the economy now uh, is conditionally uh, reopened. You can't run a 90% economy. Consumer demand simply will not pick back up to where it was pre-pandemic. So if it's not obvious, the answer is why. It certainly will be over the course of the next weeks and months. And I I hope uh, not just uh, Republican senators, but Democratic leaders across the spectrum recognize that and meet this moment. Just to play devil's advocate, though, Governor, hasn't the federal government spent trillions already on programs such as PPP as well as stimulus checks to individuals? And that effectively is a support 
in a way, and maybe not a direct way, but a support for states. So how much, why do you want the money to come directly to the coffers of your government? Well, it's, and I, I think when you look at it in those terms, it, it conjures a pejorative that somehow government uh, is other than as opposed to essential. And we talked a lot about essential. We talk about the essential nature of public safety, uh, our first responders, our police officers, our firefighters, the essential nature. Any parent, I've got four children, uh, can attest to of our teachers, our public educators, our nurses, our doctors. Those are the frontline county workers, city workers that potentially could be impacted uh, if we walk away from this moment. The biggest mistake we often make in these moments is we don't recognize the moment. Uh, and we place small ball. And I think that would be a huge mistake in terms of our economic growth and economic recovery in this nation. You're talking about the job losses across the country. In California specifically, Governor, do you think that you've seen the worst economic data or is that to come as businesses reopen and start to feel their way through this uh, post-pandemic or, or pandemic world that we are currently in? I'd like to hope so. 4.8 million people have filed unemployment insurance just since uh, March 12th. 4.8 million Americans in the state of California just since March 12th. Uh, as we reopen the economy, and by the way, I know a thing or two about economy. I started in the private sector, pen to paper, uh, opened 23 businesses. At peak, we have roughly 1,000 employees, restaurants, hotels, and wineries. I have a deep sense of understanding uh, of the complexity of reopening in this respect. It's consumer demand that ultimately will determine our fate and future. And what's the predicate on that? Public health. To me, it's an and, not an or. It's not about the economy uh, versus our public health. It's focusing on both, and that's fundamental in terms of instilling a sense of well-being where consumers can come back and feel confident and safe, and employees can come back and feel confident and safe. And that's going to take some time. I want to talk about some of the businesses in your state. Uh, Elon Musk was upset with the Alameda authorities when he reopened the, the Fremont plant against uh, their orders. Um, he has since signaled that he would like to move Tesla headquarters out of the state, as well as future programs, future manufacturing plants, for instance, out of California, and has talked to state officials in Nevada as well as Texas. Are you concerned about losing uh, some of your companies? Um, to other states because of the pandemic and, and just because taxes in California are high? Well, the economic output in the state of California has been second to none, again, substantially outperforming the rest of the nation. I'll repeat, forgive me, we averaged 3.8% GDP growth over the last five years. The innovation, the entrepreneurial spirit uh, runs through our veins. More startups, more engineers, more scientists, more researchers, more Nobel laureates in this state than any other state in the nation. Uh, we may not be the cheapest place to do business, but we're the best place to do business. And it shouldn't surprise you or anyone watching uh, that that innovation and research and development and that entrepreneurial spirit is still alive and well despite this pandemic here in the state of California. Uh, I've known Elon for decades. I have great respect and admiration for his innovative spirit. And this state has been his partner in helping him grow his business. Uh, we're confident that he and others will thrive, not just survive in the future in this state. And so uh, with respect to those uh, that want to be taking advantage of this moment, uh, no, California uh, knows no equal as the fifth largest economy in the world. And we're investing in our future and we'll invest in our growth engines and we'll invest in our innovators. So if he leaves, if, if Tesla leaves, you're not worried about replacing that company with another innovative technology 
and or manufacturing company? Well, I'm not worried about that, but I'm also not worried about uh, Elon leaving anytime okay. soon. I've had a lot of conversations with him, and we're committed to the success of the innovation and the low-carbon green growth economy that he's been promoting for decades, and the state of California is accelerating. And uh, I think it's in all our interest to continue to find areas of common ground. And that's, by the way, exactly what we did in the state of California with Tesla. And they were accommodated, and they began reopening as manufacturing and logistics and warehousing all across the state uh, has operated and reopened in the last few weeks. Uh, some interesting trends are emerging uh, in this pandemic world, Governor, and one is work from home. And there are a couple of companies, both um, run by Jack Dorsey, who say now that, that workers can permanently work from home, Square as well as Twitter. And I'm wondering if you're, if you're concerned that, that that could mean a flight out of, A, California cities, but B, out of the state in general. No, I, I think that was a trend line that will become a headline. Uh, I think we've accelerated change, change that was already underway. Uh, I think some are promoting radical change. I believe we're just accelerating change that was underway. As it relates to telework, new work styles, work, work models, uh, that was already happening with the merger of IT and globalization detonating at the same time. Uh, something foundational has been happening in our economy for decades, and this pandemic has just clarified that focus. So I think it's going to require all of us to be more resilient, uh, more respectful to the nature of change, and more capable of meeting a regulatory mindset uh, that meets that change, not as an impediment, uh, but to support it. Uh, that was California Governor Gavin Newsom. You can see the full interview on CNBC.com. Um, a couple of themes out of this, what he said about Elon Musk, what he said about work from home trends, uh, but also reopening across the state, Tim. Yeah, I think, it, it, first of all, it, this is, you know, fifth largest economy in the world, $3.13 trillion, uh, And we heard from the Fed's Rosengren this morning, also in addition to Powell, we need more fiscal and we need more monetary. I, I, I'm not so sure about the monetary, but there's no question this is a time for fiscal. So um, I, I do think that the trends that are taking place in terms of uh, work from home and what this also might mean for commercial real estate and what that also might mean for uh, for the revenues of, of major urban centers is something we still haven't seen. Uh, I, I think that will be uh, one of the have not moments um, of the post COVID-19 you know, world that we live in. So um, I, I, I would just say as a citizen, this is the time I need my federal government. And, and I think there are moments where uh, we are going to have to step up. And I, it, it's interesting to hear the governor be so forthright about that, because I think that's exactly uh, where California sits right now. Um, we have said on this show many times that recessions are an accelerant to pre-existing trends. And already uh, in many high-tax states like New York, but California specifically, since that's the one that we're talking about, has seen an outflow of residents. And they've actually seen an outflow, a loss of residents for seven straight years, Karen. And I'm wondering if you think this work-from-home trend could really challenge states like California. Because if you don't need to be in San Francisco and pay a million dollars for a studio apartment or a one-bedroom apartment, you're going to leave. Right. You're going to leave. I mean, I think, you know, just anecdotally hearing that already, um, I think that that is going to be a big pressure on California. And I think some of this is, was starting before any of this. The cost of doing business in California was already very high. And we saw a lot of uh, exodus to Texas, where it was much more business friendly. I think the first few trillion, Congress was sort of all trying to work together. It really was uh, bipartisan. I think the next trillion or more will be a lot more difficult. And, you know, it can't help but be somewhat political. California, obviously, um, very much a blue state. So it's, um, 
I think it's going to be a, a little bit of a, it's going to be difficult for them. I don't, I don't know that they'll get the relief they need. Yep. And I wonder if Elon Musk knows what the governor just said about him leaving and if that is actually correct. Maybe we'll hear from Musk himself. Coming up to infinity and beyond, one Wall Street firm sees a major rally ahead for shares of Beyond Meat. We'll sink our teeth into that one next. Plus, options traders doing a double take on this stock, betting a breakout is just beginning. We've got much more Fast Money in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. BTIG biting into Beyond Meat as the company initiates coverage with a buy rating and a $173 price target. The firm expects consumers to gravitate toward more health conscious, conscience, conscious, I should say, food options. It was conscience in the prompter. And I anyway, I read that by accident. Guy Dami, what do you say? That's the truth. I'm just telling you what what is actually (laughs) happening up here. (laughs) You know, uh, Will Ferrell got himself in a lot of trouble just reading what was ever in the prompter, Mel. You should learn from the movie, number one. Number two, you know we did a taste test, and I loved what I said at the time was, you know, I enjoyed the product. I had issues in the aftermath. Recently, you said, what do you think? I said, look, I ain't eating it again, but I love the stock, and it's proven to be correct. So I thought it would trade up to 130, the January highs. It's through that now. You trade it now on the long side against 130. And you do look for that 173 price level, my insides notwithstanding. <laughs> the caveat in this analyst note is that, they, mm-hmm. that Beyond Meat really has to go beyond what has been a, a core demographic, which is young females in urban cities. Grasso, they've got to broaden it out. I mean, you've you got to appeal to middle America also. Right. Exactly. And I'm not so sure it's, it's healthier for you, but we, we, we're not here to debate that. I can't buy a stock that's up... 80% already. The regular, the old fashioned meat producers that have their supply chains and distribution chains intact already are Tyson and Sanderson Farms. Stay with Tyson. I'm betting on a rebound of that name. All right, coming up. Are you looking to level up your portfolio? Look no further than this stock. Options traders are playing this name into earnings tomorrow. We've got all the details on this trade after this quick. Welcome back to Fast Money. Take Two Interactive hitting a new all-time high today as it gears up for earnings. And options traders are betting the stock could break even uh, higher when it reports. Mike has got the action. Hey, Mike. Hi, Melissa. So Take Two Interactive traded about five times its average daily call volume today. And overall, bullish bets outpaced bearish bets by about 25%. A lot of that activity in the opening buys department was in the May 145 calls expiring this Friday, these weekly calls. The buyers of these are making bullish bets that the stock is going to pop still further after it hit new all-time highs today after it reports earnings. And it's implying a move of about 8%, and possibly one of the reasons they're buying these calls, risking $3.70 to do so, is because that is a lower-risk way for them to press bullish bets with it trading as strong as it is. All right. Thanks for that, Mike. For more Options Action, full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Coming up next, Final Trades. Yeah, Blackstone, they reported pretty good numbers. They have money coming in. They have a lot of firepower, even if realizations are are going to be slower in this environment. So uh, been a sideways trade since earnings. I'd take a look at Blackstone. Steve Grasso. Microsoft just seems to be a performer before the pandemic started, sold off, gave you a steep discount, and now it's at or around all-time highs. 
This is going to be one that's going to make the economy more efficient. Even when we get back to work, I'm staying long. And I think we're going to look back on this when it's trading way above 200 and say, how did we miss that? Karen Feinerman. Yeah, so I feel like a little pullback is in order here. But, of course, I like what I own. So with the SPY, with the VIX on the SPY elevated as it is, I don't really want to pay up to buy puts. But instead, I will sell out of the money calls. So that's my final trade. Sell spider calls. Guy Dami. You know, the Twitter traded particularly well uh, despite a lousy tape and some tweets from President Trump. So I think you stay with the Twitter there, uh, Mel. All right. Thanks for watching. See you back here tomorrow at 5. Mad Money starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.